Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. On episode 10 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, the Green Street Hammers staff give their thoughts on a 1-1 draw at Huddersfield, discuss the Arnautovic and Nasri saga, before answering Twitter questions to end the episode. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, welcome to the Rival Sports podcast. This is episode 10. We've made it to double digits. Uh, it is uh, coming Not at a time... Sports. <laughs> uh, it's coming at a time for us when uh, we're at maybe our saddest, uh, and that's saying something considering how the league started, but it is an international break. Uh, we are here, and I should introduce my, my fellow uh, hosts here. It's uh, myself, Scott, and Jeff. No Jeremiah this week, but uh, guys, how are we doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. All, all I can. Doing I mean... good. Bright and early for you, Scott, in, in Australia, but uh, me and Jeff here, mid-afternoon, Actually, uh, Jeff, I'm not sure exactly where you, you where you're located or not, but do you have snow yet? <laughs> I'm in Dallas, Texas, USA. Okay, so that's no a hard snow. no. That's a hard no. That's a hard no. Although we just had our coldest November morning in eight years the other morning, so fall slash our very brief winter has arrived this week. And and what was the record temperature there? For November, we were a 24 the other night, and that was our lowest November in, in eight years. 24. Lowest November temp in eight years. All right, let me just do a quick uh, a quick change here on the oh minus four Celsius. Okay, yeah, you're probably you're right around where we are right now. Uh, I'm in Toronto, so it's a little bit cooler. But we, we are supposed to be getting a snowstorm tonight, so nothing says international break football quite like a snowstorm. I don't think, right? That's right. Um, so uh, where we will start is uh, basically with the uh, the Huddersfield match. Um, I don't want to say that it was as expected, but I, what I will say is basically that, um, well, certainly it wasn't as expected from our from our pre-match predictions, but um, from the outset, if you look at it just objectively, um, West Ham went to Huddersfield away, they came from behind, they tied the match, and they earned a point away from home. That sounds all well and good, but there was a bit of a disconnect between the performance on the pitch and the points that were, were had by West Ham. Yeah, I mean, we've we've talked before about West Ham getting uh, maybe not picking up the points that their performance has deserved in terms of like playing well, doing all the right things, and just not being clinical enough. Uh, in this case, we just didn't seem to have the the legs like during the game. Everything seemed a little bit disjointed, but we still managed to get the result. So a little bit. Uh, bittersweet I suppose uh, if you looked on the face of it one all was a, a bit of a disappointment considering the form Huddersfield have been in but a point away from home is or it's usually a good point in the Premier League for for a side like us so uh, mixed feelings Jeff what do you think my feelings are 
my feelings aren't mixed. I was hugely disappointed, and I had said over the weekend I would love to do this podcast uh, right after the game when I was extremely fired up because I, my bar is high for this club, and I expect a club like West Ham, whether it's home or away, to go to a place like Huddersfield and their form and to take the full three points. And I think it was it was our worst performance in a couple weeks. I agree. Uh, it was disjointed. We didn't have the legs. But to me, those are all can be kind of excuses. You've got to find a way to win. And you could even say, although we created some chances, uh, especially in the second half, it was almost like too little too late. And, and if it wasn't for that goal going in, then it looks just like the Brighton game, which was a, a 1-0 defeat uh, on the road where we threw everything but the kitchen sink at the net and just couldn't get any of them to go in. And I, I look at this lineup that we have on paper and the style we're supposed to play and the players we signed. And I've been harping on this on the podcast for the last couple of weeks, and, and you all have heard me say it. We're not scoring enough goals for the for the team that we have and the players that we have on the pitch. And I thought this, to me, was more of the same, especially after the, the performance we had the week prior. I was expecting to go get the full three points, and, and, and I was really, really disappointed, not only with the result, but with the effort I saw out on the pitch, especially the first half. Yeah, it's kind of. I, I feel a lot more uh, on the on the same path as, as you, Jeff. Uh, like I said, the outset. If you just put it completely on paper, oh, they they went away. They they want to they want a point away. Looks fine, but yeah, Huddersfield are not in, in fine form. Uh, I think that that was they just got, came off their first win, like you said, against Fulham. Um, West Ham came off of beating Burnley four two. A pretty dominant performance at that, and it, it didn't look all that great. Um, let's look at the goals here. The first. So, I don't know. We can kind of look at the first 10 minutes in in a flurry here. Burnley came down, had a chance off a corner. Uh, Fabianski made an unbelievable save on that one. And the ball gets swung down by, by Grady D and Ghana. Spots Arnautovic down the right wing and sends him in all alone. He was alone for probably 30 yards. And in my eyes, he's got to finish those chances. You don't get alone on, on Huddersfield's keeper. You have him coming out of his net that far, coming off his line that far. And you put the ball within reach of him. You could you could have chipped it over him. You could have taken a, a you know taken a weighted shot and put it over him. Uh, you could have gone far post. I know he's right footed, so he went to the near post. But you can't really waste those opportunities. And I don't think that's the Arnautovic that we saw last season with the clinical finishing that he had. Yeah, I thought that was really you could say that was one of the turning points or or the first turning point of the game. If that goal goes in, the entire game is different to me. Even if what happens still happens, which is if that goal goes in and then they still come back and Huddersfield scored a few minutes later on a similar chance that they did finish. Okay, well, then it's 1-1. But I just felt like at that point when we missed and they turned around a few minutes later and scored on their chance and we're left chasing, that really started to make our effort disjointed across the pitch. And that, that to me was the early obvious turning point of the game. We have to finish those shots, have to. And Scott, what, yeah, what were your thoughts on the on the Pritchard goal? Um, I thought it could have been dealt with. We saw we're architects of our own destruction in that we're passing it out from the back. And I'm a big fan of it. I do like trying to keep the ball and move it forward. But I don't enjoy the kind of... Um, like when we're trying to do something clever with it. I, I'm very... Like if you're going to do something that's dangerous, keep it simple. Don't start pushing it around too much um i think it was anderson back to rice and it didn't quite come off it was actually then, uh diop to rice the diop into rice was it oh, okay um 
Well, I'd say there were times during the, the game where I think uh, Diop tried to get the ball to Anderson and Anderson back to Rice and that kind of like where they tried to bypass the midfield or the left back and we'd lost the ball a few times. It wasn't just in this occasion, mm-hmm. but yeah. And then uh, if you look at it, it's very disappointing when that ball just goes in because it's not, he didn't strike it well. He didn't, uh, it didn't sort of hit it with any venom or curve. It's just come through, through the defender's legs and it's made it very, very hard for Fabianski to see anything. But uh, it's one of those where I, like, I, I, w- I hoped he would have saved it because the, just to the speed it was travelling. But I think it just um, caught him off balance. Uh, he's not seen it until it's through the defender's legs. But yeah, a very disappointing goal all in all to concede, especially, as you say, after that chance that Arnautovic should have scored. Yeah, make It's just- really hard, I think. I'm sorry. I was going to say it's really hard to sit here and criticize Fabianski because we all know it's, you could make the case he's hammer of the year, right? But but at the same time, in that moment, that shot in that spot, he should make that save. And it was just you're right. I think it caught him at the last minute. He was just a little flat-footed, caught out of position. But and it, but it's tough to sit there and criticize him. But gosh, you got to make that save. You got to. Yeah, and, and like you had said, uh, Jeff, if uh, if West Ham scores on that first opportunity. It's a different, it's a completely different outset because okay, let's say uh, they come down off kickoff and get the same type of goal. Um, it's game on then. It's one one. You're not immediately behind, and it's not six minutes in with you being behind. There's you know, it's there's a mental aspect to it as well. So I think uh, I think there's certainly some issues going forward. Uh, it seems to be so hit and miss with West Ham these days. Whether they're going to put up four, whether they're going to let in four, whether they're going to score, whether they're going to get shut out. Good teams, bad teams. It doesn't seem to matter. Um, you know, Man City's coming up next, and I'm not even fearful of them because I don't know what West Ham we're going to get. It could be ten nothing Man City, or it could be nil nil, or it could be three two West Ham. I have no idea how it's going to turn out. Um, I guess it makes the games fun, but it's it's a little bit uh, disconcerting when you're trying to map out your next set of uh, of fixtures here. But we will we will push past this, uh, and we're going to look ahead to the West Ham goal. Came in the second half. Felipe Anderson ended up putting it in the top shelf. Scott, what did you see on that uh, on that goal there? I, th- I thought the goal was well taken. I mean, I think in the uh, aftermath of it all, I think we kind of forgot to mention how good a finish it was, mm-hmm. given that we've had like four or five people try to different try to shot <laughs> in this sort of like scramble of Sunday League quality. Um, I. I, I, I when I was watching it, I watched it on the replay without knowing the score because I wasn't getting up at two o'clock to watch West Ham versus Huddersfield. Um, Plastic. So, yeah. I, <laughs> so I watched it when I got up in the morning uh, without knowing the score. And when Antonio, rather than laying it back to Anderson easily, turned and shot, I did shout at him. Thankfully, Anderson um, did control his left foot strike. I mean, he's getting more confident on that side. We, we've seen him in the first few games of the season, not take stuff on his left foot. He seems to have worked on that a bit. He, he's far more two-footed than he, or maybe it's just his confidence. He has a bit of more confidence to be uh, swinging that left foot through the ball a little bit more. And it was a great finish. I mean, there are three defenders on the line, one or two more in his way and the goalkeeper. And he's put it top corner. Probably would have beaten the keeper if he'd been back on his line. So I think, uh, yeah, it was a good goal. But, um, there were chances in that game we should have scored and there were other times where we should have created chances to score. It just, it was not the most 
clinical overall. Jeff, what do you think? You know, you well, I think I agree. I think you can't sit here and, and say, well, we're not scoring goals and then then fault Anderson for he did. He he finished, he put it in there. It fell to any number of players before that who couldn't put it in the back of the net and he did. So fair play to him. We needed it. And so then as a result, really what you're talking about is Anderson saved the match for West Ham and the supporters to get the point out of it because he was the one who was able to get the goal. And, but I agree, too. We had so many other chances. We talked about the Arnautovic one. Chicharito had another one. And my gosh, can we just get a message to Mikel Antonio? Do Stop not shoot. shooting the ball. <laughs> Pass the ball. Okay, you're talking about Sunday games and you know men's league games and all the rest of it. When you are out there with players that are better than you, those guys know to pass the ball to the guys that can finish. Antonio should look around and go, oh, I have I have Arnautovic and Chicharito and Anderson out here with me. I should be the fourth option to shoot. I should be looking to get my head on the end of a corner or a set piece, and that's it. But my gosh, if he does it again, I'm going to do more than shout at him uh, like <laughs> you did. I'm going to throw something at the TV, for gosh sakes. I mean, we've we've talked a lot about Antonio over the last couple of weeks on the podcast and what we all think of him, and we're, I don't think any of us are Team Antonio, but my goodness, just another two glaring examples there where we did he did create the opportunity. He did. But lay the ball off to somebody who can actually finish because I'm so tired of seeing him fire it eight yards above the bar. And eight yards yeah. is a generous, a generous uh, <laughs> measurement there. But, uh, no, I really, I don't. I've written it a few times this, this season that we've, we, most of our teams seem to have a real hesitancy, or they seem to be going, oh, I don't want to shoot and waste this possession when they really should be. Snodgrass, for example, I think is someone who I, I love his technique. And I think he should be taking on a couple more chances from outside the box per game. It just when it opens up on his left foot, give it a go, try and bend it in, see what happens. Antonio, I'm shouting exactly the opposite. His technique isn't there. He has one mode, and that is drill the ball as hard as I can. Mm. And at the moment, that single mode seems to be set for like rugby conversions or you know like American <laughs> football field goals. It, it's not set for anything good. It's um, and. I don't know. Maybe he's trying to fire his way out of it. But as you said, when you've got a number of people on that team around you, not like if he's through one-on-one, yeah, okay, look, I'm not going to have a go at him for shooting because I'm not saying wait around, let the chance disappear. But if like, in that, that chance before the Anderson goal, he has his back to goal, Anderson's screaming at him, and he goes, you know what? No, I'm going to roll around, shoot with my left foot. And that's going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Crazy. Just it's it's a case of I I'm all for players having confidence, but too much confidence really kills the like momentum of the team because is you're that, just not enough. Is that confidence? Maybe it is if we look at it in a positive. Is that confidence, or really what are we talking about? Is a lack of football awareness for a yeah, guy who one time couldn't take the ball to the corner and finish out a game, and the ball ended up in the back of our net and we lost points from a winning position in the dying minutes of a game so his football IQ and his football awareness isn't that high and so I think that's kind of what we're speaking to here is you got to be aware of what, what the game situation is and what your role is and what you can do to help better your team and I'm all for firing like you said and trying to shoot yourself out of a slump when it's appropriate but sometimes you have to have some game awareness and understand what your team needs and what the best chance for you know your teammates to succeed is 
Totally. And, and you know, you're up 4-2 on Burnley. Let it fly. Try and score a, a, you know, yeah. a, a rocket from outside the box. But the game's close. You're down potentially at this time. And you're shooting to try and get momentum and try and get that sort of confidence. You're not shooting with the confidence. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. Leonardovic, him swinging his leg at it, he didn't really have many other choices, I don't believe. Uh, Chicharito slamming the rebound straight on the keeper. I also, or not the rebound, I guess the deflected half-hit ball. Um, I don't... That's his mindset, right? He's in the box. The ball fell to him. He's putting it on net. And it was a, it was a nice save, albeit a panic save from Lossel. Um, but, yeah, the Antonio stop, look, turn, spin, fire directly into the chest of a defender was, like, so classic Antonio. Uh, but, but thankfully, yeah, Anderson was there to, to, to put it away, away from all the defenders and forwards standing on the line. It was the perfect spot. You know, Chicharito's an interesting case, and he's been getting more opportunity. You know, there was some talk earlier in the season when he was sick, and, you know, he was unhappy, and he wasn't getting the opportunity. You can't say that Pellegrini hasn't given him the opportunity. I mean, he played half the game this week. He's out there. He's getting regular playing time, and for the guy who's the we all know is the fox in the box, uh, the overused term for him, he's got to finish his chances, too. Um, it, it's just, I think at this point, either in this particular side or at this point in his career, if he's not finishing every other game or scoring or whatever, he just doesn't have much use out there. Um, he's done better holding up the ball and, and things like that. And, and some of the, the things that go, I guess, unnoticed in the box score from that forward position that he has, but you can't say he's not getting his chances to play and convert. We just need him to start converting because it would let off the pressure off some of the other guys, specifically Arnautovic, and I guess at this point Anderson, who is also turning into a regular goal scorer here over the last couple of weeks. We just need you know depth scoring and scoring from other places besides those two guys. And then all of a sudden, as a club, we would be scoring more goals, and we wouldn't be always having to fight for the point. We would be you know protecting leads from winning positions because we would have more goals on the board. Absolutely, and I think uh, let's let's say this. How, how about we can maybe end this section and this review on a positive note of saying West Ham played a terrible game, terribly inconsistent game uh, as a unit. Good players had good, good uh, runouts there individually, but as a unit, they, they played a down game and they earned a draw away from home. So that's a positive. I think that you can build on when they're not even on their best. They're still, this is that on paper sort of measurement of against other teams. Okay. On paper, we're a better team. It carried us to a draw here just based on, you know, having quality in the side, whether it's firing or not. Uh, what we will do is take a quick break here. We'll come back with some audio from Jeremiah, our missing Green Street Hammer, and that's going to lead us into the big news story of the week regarding West Ham. So stay tuned on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right. Well, thank you, Adam. Thanks for getting me on here, and uh, hope you guys are doing well. I'm sure the podcast is going great. Sorry I can't be with you this week. You know, how dare life get in the way of uh, West Ham? Uh, totally joking but any good time to talk about West Ham is uh, any good time to be better than being at work Um, a lot of edgy kind of topics this week and I hope you guys are having fun with that but the one thing I wanted to touch on and obviously get you guys' opinion afterwards is the physical or failed physical or whatever you want to look at and the potential signing of Samir Nazari obviously you guys know the footnotes to it you know it's 80,000 a week deal um, potentially still in doubt, but it seems like the club is now going to give him a opportunity to prove his fitness. And he's been free agents free agent since November, leaving Antalya Spor in the uh, Turkish, I believe it's the Super League. And um, 
And by the way, I watched a lot of good games out there when I uh, lived in Turkey for a couple of years, and those fans are pretty passionate, and they have a lot of fun. But anyway, going back to that, I digress. Um, we're looking at signing him for 80000 a week, and, you know, he's a 31-year-old player, and, you know, the big external factor of the whole thing is that he was kicked out of football or banned from football, I guess, uh, for doping by the anti- the World Anti-Doping Agency. Um, and, you know, that's a huge external fact. Internal factors, you hear grumblings and rumors of certain players uh, not liking the fact that bringing in another midfielder uh, for 80000 a week, I believe he's 31, and just, to me, that seems like a lot of money. So I guess my little input on this, and I'll let you guys debate about it, is it's kind of bittersweet. It's a two-way street for me. The fact that I can't sit here and openly say that Samir Nazari is not a good football player. That would be absurd for me to say that. And you go back and look through the numbers, it's not like he's a prolific goal scorer. I mean, in his two, three years at Arsenal, 18 goals. His six years at Man City, 18 goals. Went out alone, two goals. Only scored two goals in eight appearances in Italia Sport in the Turkish Super League. But he's still a really good attacking midfielder. So do we need him at the moment? For sure. But am I willing to give up 80000 a week? No. Am I willing to take that money away from a potential new Declan Rice contract? Take that money away from potentially signing someone else that's going to be there for more than six months to a year? Um, to me, that's where the kind of two-way street kind of thing comes in. Is Would he be effective? I'm sure he could be, but do I want him? No. Is there going to be internal grumblings on the team? Probably. And do I want that? Absolutely not. The kind of, to me anyway, the mix-up of West Ham right now is not a solid, it's not concrete, you know. Um, There's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of players that have really good weeks and really bad weeks. And I think bringing in someone like this is only going to rock the boat more in a negative way, you know, sometimes it's good to rock it in a positive way, but I think in this instance, this is going to rock it in a negative way, and we don't need that, so anyway, guys, um, curious what your thoughts are on this, I'm glad you gave me a little bit to get in here, and I hope you all are having a good week, and come on, you irons. All right, well, first and foremost, Jeremiah, thank you, somehow always contributing even when you're not here with us uh, in the Skype call live, so we appreciate that, and uh, you are giving us uh, the beautiful uh, walkthrough of the biggest issue. It seems like we can't go a week without there being one for West Ham, and that is Samir Nazri and what he represents coming to West Ham, if it is true. Um, I guess as a general as a general sort of background on it, played with Pellegrini at Manchester City, was a pretty starring player there for the teams that, that did win the, the Premier League title, and he has then fallen off once Pellegrini left. He's been to China, he's been to... Uh, Turkey, he's been to France, so he's been all over the place, and he got banned 18 months for using a uh, IV treatment, which is banned by the anti-doping uh, regulation. So he's been banned from football for 18 months, and he's able to play again come January. Uh, he was offered apparently 80k a week wages to join West Ham now as a creative midfielder. That's been halted by him being out of shape. And it seems that he's been given a leash till January to basically get in game shape, train with the team if you'd like to, and uh, basically get up to get up to speed and prove that he wants to be a professional footballer again. Uh, Jeff, let's let's start with you here. 
What are your thoughts on it in general? Do you do you like Nasri as a player? Do you see him fitting in here? And, and, and maybe what about the fallout that's going to come with that? Well, I, I think I don't have the benefit of some uh, longtime football fans of remembering him when he was at his best. I definitely know the hype surrounding him and what he has he has brought since then. And he's kind of fallen off. He's 31 years old now. So I'm, I'm trying not to get caught up in all the hype around this for a couple reasons. The primary one is he's going to be a cover player for us, right? I mean, we all know the problems we have in midfield, but we had a cover midfielder, Carlos Sanchez, who is a little bit different player than Nasri. He's more of a holding player, but he's out hurt. And so when he comes to the club, he's not going to go right into the starting 11. I wouldn't imagine he's going to be a cover player. So when you look at it on the pitch and what he means to the club, okay, sure, fine. If, if his what he he was getting the best out of by Pellegrini. If Pellegrini can work that with him again, and it's a player he knows, okay, fine, I'm down with that. I think Adam, you wrote this on Green Street Hammers. Is so far the players that Pellegrini's brought in, he's got a pretty good track record, you know, through the first third of the campaign and getting the most out of these players. So let's defer to him on that, and we will. But I think we'll get into this part in a second. It's not so much about the actual role he's going to play on the pitch because I think honestly it would be minimal, but it's what ripple effect this has throughout the rest of the club on all the things that are outside of the lines that are causing all this uh, controversy or discussion and I think if we weren't in an international break maybe it wouldn't even be getting as much discussion as it is because we don't have a match to talk about this weekend what do you think there Scott yeah I think it's a very strange very very strange idea that we could uh, pick him up and there would be no issues because He's say he's not been with a club for a while now, over a year, and we expect him to turn up completely fully fit or at least in shape. Uh, I don't know. I never got that impression that Sami Nasri was one of these players that would uh, that was put in the work outside of what he was asked to do. Um, so there was a, a really weird like, lack of understanding of the kind of player they were picking up or trying to pick up there when when we were surprised that he was out of shape i i just i thought we were going to sort of let him train with us for a while and that was going to be just sort of that was going to be an understanding but no apparently we were surprised he was overweight um but i'm not sure like jeff i'm not sure where he comes straight into like uh, he can't play till january and then lanzini's back uh possibly well, okay, he's meant to be back yes. around January. Like you, are, I'm hoping that I mean they're going to be playing. Like if you, you're going to be playing Sam and Azri in the ten. You're going to be playing him wider. Uh, you may be going to be playing him as a replacement winger ten, like just a utility player around there. I don't know. Eighty grand's a lot to just throw at a player who's thirty-one. He's not played in a while. I don't particularly like his work ethic. I think he's a good player. Oh, he was anyway when he was at Arsenal Man City. But I don't think he has that uh, ability to grind it out, maybe, in mid-table. But no, I, I wasn't really like, enjoying it. And it seems to have triggered um, Arnautovic's, or Arnautovic's agent's comments. And also, if you're Declan Rice and you're seeing that they're willing to pay 80 grand for someone who hasn't played football in a year, and then you're still sitting there on like five grand a week. That's <laughs> uh, not going to be the best uh, motivator. No, I, I I can't I can't disagree with you on the last parts there. Just basically going back to Nazri himself. January is an interesting timeline because, like you said, Lanzini is meant to be back, but 
let's say Nasri starts playing with West Ham as of January 1st, if he does sign, and he basically um, steps in, he looks effective, he's coming off the bench basically and, and you know providing an option on both wings possibly or both sided midfield spots and in the, the central midfield position. Um, it maybe gives you a longer leash to not have to rush back Lanzini. I mean, we're already running Arnautovic into the ground with a knee injury, which he apparently uh, broke this week that he's getting knee injections before every game to be able to play. Um, so if we can not rush someone back or, you know, take a chance when someone's at 90% instead of giving them a week to get to 100, I'm all for extra cover providing that opportunity. But if you uh, if you did listen to the West Ham Way podcast from uh, from yesterday, I believe uh, they did talk about the sort of um, the outgoings that could be coming to West Ham, uh, Adrian possibly, Reese Oxford possibly, uh, Antonio possibly, Chicharito possibly. So if you get rid of Antonio, I know he's been playing as a center forward a lot, but that's a right sided attacker that you don't have cover for. And as of right now, our only right sided attacker naturally is. Grady D and Ghana with Robert Snodgrass mixed in a little bit, but he's more central. Um, so I don't see the downside to it. And then we get to the financials of it all. And I think it's a good it's a good bridge for what you said there, Scott. If you're an Otovich and you're leading the line and you're not and you're doing pretty much everything to be to, to drag West Ham up as far as goals are concerned, at least in the last calendar year. Uh and you're not making the most on this team when or not, or when uh, Hernandez is sitting on the bench with 140. When this Nazri guy, who's never played in a year and a, excuse me, a year and a half, is coming in and getting 80k, it doesn't make sense. And same with Rice. Where why would you invest this money in a, a relatively unproven person in your team when who's 31 years old? When you have a 19 year old who's playing like he's worth 100 grand, and you're paying him five. So. Is the is the risk worth it when it comes to unsettling those stars on the team? I'm going to let you go and just say no. It's not worth it. Back to you. <laughs> I think that if you're going for cover, as you said, like we do need some like potentially if we're letting people go, some sort of versatility. Uh, there's probably better options out there for 80 grand a week. I mean that's that's fairly substantial for a club like us. I mean I know we've got few players on more, but. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's got to be hugely upsetting. Uh, Arnautovic is probably our biggest, the biggest reason we're not just in a relegation battle constantly. Now, he dragged us out of it uh, the second half of last season. He's scored, I think he scored five goals already this season. Yeah, he's these are the biggest difference. So yeah, you're looking at that going, well, okay, he's just coming in off of an 18-month ban probably isn't going to be match fit for a while and they're giving him 80 grand a week and I'm not on too much more than that they must have some money spare for me mm-hmm. that, that's what you got to be thinking you know I think as a it's interesting watching English football as an American and someone who follows American sports extremely closely for my whole life but really seriously for the last 25 years I think one of the hardest things or the most interesting aspects of English football to get your head around is the transfer market and the role that agents play and that when players have contracts in the EPL or in any of the five major football leagues in Europe they don't really have contracts because they can be torn up at any time the wages can be changed at any time they can transfer out at any time they can be sold at any time so that complicates things and I think the other part of this that makes it interesting for fans and supporters of clubs, especially mid-table clubs like West Ham, 
is that you look at this and you don't really know because of the tabloid nature of journalism in, in the UK, you don't really know what the true story is. And in the last few days, we've gone from Marco Arnautovic saying that he wants to join a bigger club and take the jump to a Champions League football club to his brother making those comments saying he might possibly want to do it. Then you have the pundits coming out and saying, well, this would be the time to sell him because it would be great business for West Ham because they bought the guy for $25 million, and if you can get 50 or 60 or $70 million when prices are inflated in January, it makes sense. To now it's dying down where today on Instagram, Arnautovic you know, gave the, the crossed hammer symbol and said that's enough of an answer, and it's all dying down, and he's happy again because you don't, you don't really understand or you don't see how all this stuff plays out because it's hard to know what really is true from the club's perspective what bubbles up into rumor what bubbles up to get clicks and then what the agent is trying to do because let's face it his brother is known as kind of a bit of a troublemaker and and these agents are all about stirring it up because they get a cut of what these new wages are too so you have to understand the perspective of all this into it and I would assume, and I know what I'm about to say is a big assumption when we're talking about West Ham, especially considering the last calendar year and, and all the things the board does and the missteps they make. So I'll say it with a grain of salt. You would like to think that the management of the club has an idea and has a plan and understands what they're doing and understands, along with Pellegrini, what this would do to upset the inner workings of the team and in the back room, and they would they would they would not allow that to happen. So I understand what I'm saying is a big leap there, but I think probably some of this is overblown when you get down to it, and it's not all true. It's it's pumped up for the media, but it but it does make it interesting when January is just six weeks away, and what opportunity could present itself. I for one think it would be obviously a huge loss to have Arnautovic lead in Jan leave in January, and I and I wouldn't do it. And then you get into the situation of, well, what if he really does want to leave and we get into a Pyatt situation, which none of us want to talk about, to where he's on like a strike and he absolutely is going to force our hand because he's upset that someone is going to be on 80 grand a week. It's just a really – the whole thing to me is really weird and odd, and I think it's tough to relate to sometimes. I said as an American fan of, a, of an English – Premier League team and following it so closely that sometimes these agreements just aren't worth the paper that they're written on for some reason. Yeah, and and uh, you summed it up really well. But uh, as far as the money goes, I don't. Arnautovic said he was surprised by the answer, um, so he it was surprised by sorry what his what his brother slash agent said. So uh, it, it seems like maybe this is all just his his brother, who again was in Italy last summer trying to orchestrate a move, um, trying to whip up some money, like you had said there, Jeff. So. I don't know exactly what it all means, but it could also mean that uh, Arnautovic is jockeying for Declan Rice to get more money or for the money to be shared around the club a little bit more That's a great appropriately. Idea. So um, as far as ADK goes for Nazri, I think you could, whatever ADK turns out to be uh, across half of a season, use that as a transfer fee and, and buy a midfielder that you can bring into the team that can grow or that you can, you know, sort of, implement as a long-term solution rather than just this half-assed solution here. So um, I don't think it's worth, I don't think it's really worth the unrest it's causing the team. Any, any final words or thoughts on the whole Arnautovic rice fallout from this uh, Nazri mischief? Yeah, we'll call I, uh, it? Uh, yeah I think uh, uh, Jeff, Jeff hit the nail on the head with the uh, contracts in the Premier League are 
seemingly worth nothing. I I would be a very big fan of there being no transfer market in the fact that you can't buy and sell players, that you just have uh, contracts and they um, they they last as long as you signed up for. You sign up for five years, you play for five years. Mm-hmm. Right, just live with it. Right, this is what the rest of us have to do in life. Right, we sign a... Uh, we sign a contract. Let's say if you work in contracting, uh, as I do, you sign a contract. I, I sign a, a rolling one-year contract with my company, and we renegotiate every like five, four or five months before the uh, contract's up. It's a, it's a case of that's the way the world should work. Uh, if I've signed for five years and then I just I can't just give up. I can't just sort of down tools and expect to be paid or transferred to a bigger company. It's uh, it is it is a very strange sort of uh, microcosm of life, and you know it's something yeah, that it, I think soccer can borrow from the big four sports in North America, where you sign a contract and, and, like you had said, you play that contract out unless the team want to sell you. If West Ham want to whip up some good business, sell them for fifty uh, fifty million, make twenty five million, and sort of continue to reform this team, that's the team's decision. It's not the agent's decision, and it's not. Uh, the player's yeah, decision I, to put up a strike. Negotiate a, a no move if you want that. Negotiate a limited move to only having you know availability to certain teams. Um, but as far as it goes, yeah, the, it, it, everyone says it's a privilege to, sp- to play a sport for a career. Um, it is, but there's so much power in the player's hands that it's almost an unfair balance right now. Yeah, I think I was going to say what you just said. If you if you want to get to that point, then negotiate no movement clauses or limited no movement clauses like other sports have, and then you're okay. Because right now, it is a very one-sided contract. The cl- the player expects the club to live up to their side of it, which is pay the eighty a week or the forty a week or the hundred and twenty a week, and and that. But yet they don't have to live up to anything, and they get upset, and they know that six months down the road they can force a strike or force a move, and it's just very one-sided at this point. And I think just to finish up from my perspective on something you said, which I think is great and would be very interesting, I hadn't thought of before, is maybe Arnautovic is using his position with the club and his leadership position with the club to call attention to this fact. And so then behind closed doors, he can say, hey, look, that's fine. I don't need any more money. I am happy with my deal. I'll handle my brother. Don't worry about it. But here's this guy over here that's one of the best players on the pitch, and I see him week in and week out, and he needs to be taken care of. So let's take care of this guy, and I'm talking about Declan Rice. He doesn't need to be on 80, but let's get him to 35 or 40 or whatever the number is. And if that's the case, I think that's really interesting, and I think that would be great. You know, I didn't think about it like that before, but that's the guy. I think when you look at the wage structure of the club as it's currently constructed – that's the one who sticks out. It's not so much the guys on the high end that are sticking out. It's him on the low end that sticks out. Completely agree there. And I think it's a good point to jump off here. We're going to go to another quick break. And when we're back, we will get into some questions from Twitter. All right. Uh, we're back for the final segment here. Uh, we have a couple questions from Twitter. Again, it's at Green ST Hammers on Twitter. Uh, we do put out the, the call to action just to basically – uh, see if anyone has any topics that uh, haven't come up. Um, I will give a shout out. New Orleans Hammer, hopefully you're listening. You asked where you could listen to us at, uh, and we, we gave you the links there. But uh, uh, another one was Nazri, yes or no? What's the deal with Marco and his brother? Uh, who are you pre- predicting to be relegated at the end of the season? Awesome work, fellas. Love it from uh, Kiwi Hammers TV. So thank you, Kiwi Hammers TV, for, for chiming in there. We like the work that you guys are doing. Uh, it's always good to have people around the world supporting West Ham and being vocal about it. So uh, we answered the first couple questions 
Nazar yes or no? I think we all say yes for a lower price, no for 80K. Um, what's the deal with Marco and his brother? We kind of covered that as well. Just a little brother syndrome, it sounds like. Uh, an interesting point here or an interesting question to start off on uh, is who are you predicting to be relegated at the end of the season? Uh, Jeff, uh, we'll go to you first. Who are your bottom three teams? And while you're doing that, I'm going to pull up the table here. As it stands, Fulham at five points is 20th. Huddersfield, 19th at seven points. And Cardiff is uh, 18th with eight points. Okay, and and let's go with the uh, couple old adages. First of all, uh, when you're at the bottom of the table at Christmas, you tend to stay at the bottom of the table. And then when you look at the goal differential of those teams, minus 20, minus 16, minus 14, yeah, Southampton is also minus 13 and Burnley's minus 13. But I don't see any reason why those three teams shouldn't be there at the end of the campaign uh, being relegated. I don't see uh, Southampton going down, Crystal Palace I don't see going down, I don't see Newcastle going down, and then you get into West Ham territory, and certainly we don't see ourselves going down. We're, <laughs> we're firmly mid-table. Oh, 13. You know, yeah, we're going we're gonna to take this next stretch of fixtures and move right up into top 10, maybe even push for Europe, right? I mean, that's the plan. So <laughs> the, safe, the safe play and the safe answer is, you know, Fulham and Cardiff City, uh, new members of Premier League this year, um, not playing well, not finding it to their liking down there with Huddersfield, who's in a poor patch right now. The game against us notwithstanding, right? Yeah, uh, Scott, what do you think? Who are your three? Uh, I think uh, Cardiff are uh, up and down. That There's no particular hope for them. I uh, don't really see that they've got the players to stay up in this league. And... I, I really dislike Neil Warnock, so I, I really won't lose any sleep over that. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I think he's. I think he was manager at Sheffield United in the time we had a big dispute with them, and I don't know. I don't have much uh, much to say about no him love in terms lost of there. positive. <laughs> yeah, and um, I think Southampton are really, really struggling. That after a few years of. Uh, changing managers, but still managing to sort of stay in the league through some bringing through some good players. They don't seem to have a winning formula this season. Uh, again, another manager that I or in this in this case, I think Mark Hughes gets jobs without really having done much. Mm-hmm. I think Neil Warnock has done proven that he can do it. The Championship. I'm just not sure he's a Premier League manager. Um, Mark Hughes. He seems to bring come in for six months a year sort of shouts at players and they respect him because he had a good playing career and then his tactics come under the like under scrutiny and that's always a, a worry uh, uh fulham i was i'm surprised that they're down that far uh they've now got ranieri in uh i mean apart from his leicester days he's not been prolific uh as a manager um he's not brought too much success that's pretty. I'd, I'd be very worried if I was Fulham. Uh, so, I think uh, Fulham, Cardiff, and Southampton are uh, are very dangerous. And Huddersfield, they're they're strong enough to sort of sort of fight their way out. Uh, they need to start scoring some more goals. Um, but then, yeah, I think I agree with Jeff. I look at Crystal Palace and I go, well, they're down there at the moment and they've been playing very poorly, but it would only take one or two of their players to suddenly start firing and they're in. Um, they'll, they'll be up without any issue. So, um, yeah, I'd be, I think uh, out of the, the, the four that are currently at the bottom, 
I think it's going to be three of those. And I I would be very surprised if Burnley uh, got dragged into it. Newcastle might do, but no. I, I think the uh, my favourites would probably be Southampton, Cardiff and Fulham. I'm going to back Huddersfield to keep out of it. Um, I, I like all your guys' reasoning. I don't think Cardiff's going to make it out. I think they're pretty much doomed. Um, what I think will be the make or break on, and I think Southampton as well, let me just say this. I don't like Mark Hughes as a manager. I think he's completely overrated. I don't think he's done anything to warrant getting jobs just at the, at the snap of his finger. Um, he, he got uh, Stoke City relegated last year, and he moved on and almost got Southampton relegated in the same season, which would have been incredible. But I'll take back-to-back seasons of getting getting a team relegated just fine uh, to, to sort of push him off and, and push him away. Um, I think what's going to happen is Huddersfield's going to go through a tough stretch of matches continuing continuing to do so. Uh, I know they got four points in their last two, um, but they they just don't have that Premier League quality. Uh, and I think what's going to happen is there's going to be pressure for them to fire David Wagner, and that's going to be a massive mistake for them. Give them time, let them sort it out. But if they end up firing him, I can see Huddersfield completely, uh, completely going down the tubes. And I'm going to give Fulham the Rainery bump here. I think he's coming in hot. He's he's ding-dinging. He's zipping. He's zying in the press conferences. I, I can see him getting this team drilled together. I also think having Alfie Mawson come into this team could be massive for them. Uh, Schurler's doing good. Mitrovic is a player who can take over games. Uh, Sari is a quality player as well. They have Sessegnon, one of the brightest talents in England. They have everything on paper to do it right. They could be a manager away from making that click. Um, so I, I'm going to back Fulham to get out of there. I, I got Huddersfield, Cardiff, and Southampton. Uh, not in that order, but uh, I, I have those three teams getting relegated. But that's a good question. Thanks, uh, thanks at Kiwi Hammers TV. We, we appreciate the question there. Um, now a certain someone, I'm not going to point names, but his tag is at J Carson underscore seven, one, seven, five, five, uh, is associated with the NoCo irons uh, at NoCo irons. And they asked us, yes, some of us in Colorado, uh, besides, uh, Jeremiah Carson, love AC Andy Carroll, uh, but fun and popular opinion for you is a healthy AC better than Arnautovic. Yes. We don't really know what healthy AC might look like, but what are your thoughts on it? I'm gonna jump in here. I love Carol. Look out for another. Uh, look out for a piece coming this week from Green Street Hammers about my love for him. Uh, but no, he's not because Carol. They're both sort of hotheads in a sense. They both will get you some yellow cards and act up and yell at the ref. Uh, Carol, healthy, healthy Andy Carroll is like a unicorn. It doesn't really exist. So. Uh, it's hard to judge that. If he was healthy, maybe, but because we haven't seen it, you can't rely on it. And West Ham's trying to transition to a more uh, possession-based game, playing through the inside rather than playing over the top. I don't think so. And Arnautovic does a lot of stuff off the ball that Carroll doesn't, which makes him a really good player. What, what are your guys' thoughts? There's literally one situation where I would pick Andy Carroll <laughs> over Arnautovic, and that's if you said that we were playing some sort of weird training game. And the only way we were allowed to score was through crosses into the box and headers. That's it. That is literally the only time I'm picking Andy Carroll. Uh, there's no other measure of football that Carroll is better than Arnautovic. He, he, he's slower. He's not as clever on the ball. He only has one foot. Uh, That's he, a myth. That's a myth. <laughs> <laughs> 
he's clumsier. He's I don't I he can't shoot from outside the box. If he does again, uh, I'm always a little bit worried when he does. It, I don't know. I I think Arnautovic is he's a he's a very all round player. He's very like, he's very complete in that regard, and I would question the sanity of anyone who thinks that Andy Carroll is a better footballer than Marko Arnautovic. Who's better at overhead? Here, here. <laughs> here. Uh, is he, though? I just think maybe Arnautovic hasn't had the opportunity. I've seen Carroll do it once, and that was a pretty sweet goal. You have to give credit where credit is due, but you're never going to put Andy Carroll, for example, out on the wing. Arnautovic could play out on the wing. He has played out on the wing. You're never going to do that with Carroll. The only thing that I like from Andy Carroll on the consistent is I think he's just as just as good, maybe now better, because he's never healthy in his own box defending because of his size mm-hmm. and his ability there. Great point. Late in the game. You're never gonna get you're never gonna get that from Arnautovic, but in every other regard, I totally agree, uh, Scott. Arnautovic is so much better, it's it's silly. Hey, you can't teach height as well. <laughs> Andy Carroll is six foot yeah. four all day, every day. Yeah, he is. Even when he's laying down in a hospital bed, he's still <laughs> Well, I mean, Arnautovic isn't exactly small, is he? He's uh... no, he's not. He's burly. We've talked about this. He's like stocky. He's got an absurdly long torso and then sh- short legs I, at the I'm bottom. I'm just going to throw it out there. Arnautovic is six foot four as well. Come on. Uh, this is Google. Google is the font of all knowledge, as we know. And apparently, uh, Marco Arnautovic is six foot four. That so, is. So um, wow. Uh, you're looking at. Uh, May say they therefore I'm going to say that the advantage Andy Carroll has is he can jump a little bit higher, and he he wins headers. I I can't fault him for that. If you had to sort of freeze frame every time the ball went into the box, like through the air, like you know uh, one of Aaron Cresswell's loopy back post uh, crosses, who am I like selecting out of West Ham history to be on the end of it? It's probably Andy Carroll, um, but. If I'm laying the ball into my striker and expecting him to do something with it, yeah, it's it's going to be on Arthavich at the moment. All right. Uh, I think that uh, we'll have to, uh, I guess, all begrudgingly agree. Um, but he, <laughs> I guess on the topic of Andy Carroll, he's back. He played in a closed-doors game with West Ham against Brentford. They won 2-1. Snodgrass scored the most FIFA scrubbiest goal you'll ever see. Not any fault of his own. I think Perez may be more at fault for putting a ball off the crossbar with nobody around him and no one in net. Uh, but Snodgrass did head it into the back corner off a defender, off the crossbar. Um, classic West Ham. And then Chicharito scored a penalty. Uh, Carroll wasn't on the score sheet, but we all looked at the videos and he did work very hard in, in uh, campaigning for Chicharito to get that penalty. So good work, Carroll. Already back on the right track, leading this team on the pitch. Um, <laughs> now we're going to move on here to... Uh, Hammers polls. Uh, they have some some really good uh, some really good questions for West Ham fans to sort of answer on the daily. Some thought pieces. Um, we are going to uh, first of all at Hammers polls is the uh, is the title there. We're, we're going to just do two questions here and we'll end it off. The first one, maybe the most um, upsetting, would be two of our star players have been linked with a move to Man United. Which player would you be more upset to lose, Marco Onaudovic or Issa Diop, Scott? Uh, we will cede to you first. Go ahead and give us your your thought there and why. Um, that's a tough one. Uh, I think it, if you're talking about uh, someone over the next, like keeping for the next ten years, that Issa Diop could be absolutely massive for the club. Uh, he's already shown that he can just uh, get into the into the side. He's taken the league in his stride. 
and he seems very comfortable with it. Um, and if we were to sell him, Og Bonner is in, and that's worrying. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think I think it is it's a very tough one. We we've gone on about Anatovich and how good he is for the club and how big he a bigger loss he would be. Uh, oh, if I had to pick one to lose. I'd probably say I would. Oh, I'm. I'm good. I say I think this is a tough choice. I'd probably lose on Nautovic. Uh I think Diop is massive and could be a big, big player going forward. Jeff, what do you think? I agree, and I think it's not even that much of a difficult decision because one's 22 and one's 29. That's the bottom line. Um, and we know the trouble that West Ham has had shipping goals recently, and if this guy is someone that we can allow to develop and continue to improve at his age, uh, you know, Arnautovic at best, at best, has two or three or, uh, you know, the outset four more productive years. And uh, as you mentioned, Diop could have eight or 10 more productive years in front of them at a critical position. Yeah, I, I'm not even going to comment on it. You guys wrapped it up perfectly for me. Arnautovic is hard to lose now, but if you have a backbone of players like Issa Diop, you're going to be a lot stronger. Also, I think that with teams like PSG sw- snooping around and, and Man United for Diop, although has he been linked to United or was it just uh, Mourinho basically throwing a fit to Ed Woodward saying Diop's a great player? Either way, um, I think that you have to... When you start bringing in players like Diop who have massive potential and they're young, you have to start building the team around them and basically saying, we're not just going to be a stepping stone club where Diop comes here for two years and then they ship him out for big money uh, to PSG. Start bringing in some younger players. Start looking at making big money investments for young players like Diop. He was, what, $25 million? So, $24 million. So, uh he has to be sort of that change in mindset where we're not only going to be bringing in star players at young ages, we're going to be insulating them and making this a desirable place for them to play the majority of their careers at, not just, you know, on a step to better things. Um, The last question that we'll finish on here is another defender question. Um, Chelsea have agreed to let Gary Cahill leave in January. Would you like to see him in a West Ham shirt? Jeff, go ahead and and, uh, lead us here. No. No, I don't think so. And it's really the same reasoning that we just discussed with uh, Diop. I mean, Gary Cahill is about to be or will be in January. He'll be 33 years old. Uh, We've spent a lot of time in this podcast talking about weekly wages and who gets what and what upsets the club. He's on about 105 a week. Okay, you know, his best days are long behind him. And then we're talking about spending this kind of money or whatever money we have for a guy that is not going to be a regular starter on this club. I would not start him in front of Diop or Balbuena, both because of production and because we just talked about how critical it is for us to develop a player like Diop at his age. So I would say pass on Gary Cahill. Plus, he plays for Chelsea. We're better than that. We don't need Chelsea cast-offs. Come on. What about Ruben Loftus-Cheek? Okay, I'll take him. (laughs) They have this small little Belgian guy, too. He'd be all right. I wouldn't mind him over at West Ham. Yeah, he'd be okay. He'd be all right. Sure. Hell, I'd take Danny Drinkwater. Okay, I don't know. There's a line there somewhere. Uh, Scott, what do you think? No, no, Cahill. I think we've got enough aging centre-backs in our team. Uh, Winston, Who's heard about that? Anyone heard from Winston Reid? He, he, he was at the club's meeting with the, the community club thing. He was there. Oh, so, 
he's he's alive. It's not like they're holding him ransom and kidnapped him or something. That he's just disappeared off the face of the earth. He was alive, he and, st- alive and, and standing another... without crutches. That's all I saw. Well, okay, last time so. I heard about uh, Winston Reed is him and Andy Carroll were out at training one night uh, during wow. the training camp. And Fake news. Through the window. <laughs> they were out drinking, right? Fake news. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> the, th- the only thing about that that was good was the fact it was believable and yeah that <laughs> uh i think it's been firmly sort of like said that that just didn't happen but the fact that it just took like fire like wildfire was just proof that one west ham fans love a little bit of like self-deprecation and just everything going wrong and to it was entirely believable. That's exactly how Andy Carroll got injured. Oh my god! Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think we can do without Cahill. Uh, I would, like, if you had to rank them in kind of like the three potential Chelsea ones that are coming out in January. Uh, yeah, Cahill's at the bottom, then Drinkwater, and then Loftus Cheek. Um, okay, uh, on Cahill, I will say yes, but there's a caveat to that. The caveat is, uh, as is the tradition with every January transfer window, uh, our good friend Angelo Ogbonna is linked to, for a move back to Italy. Um, if that happens, sure, bring in Cahill. His contract's up at the end of twenty, uh, at the end of uh, the season, this season, I believe. Um, so what's the what's the what's the harm there? You don't have to sign him to a new deal when he gets here. You don't promise him any football. He'll he'll be a starter if if Ogbonna goes. Even if Ogbonna didn't go, he'd be a starter in a, in a duo pairing with Ogbonna in the FA Cup uh, when when we do get our draws for that. So, well, I don't I don't see the harm in having him in there. The wages do suck, but you could probably get Chelsea to take some money back on those, just like uh, Man City did with Joe Hart and us. Um, I, I do think you would be able to. Uh, finagle a deal just to get him out of there and and make space for them but also shore up yourself um as well my last piece is if Declan Rice declares for England I wouldn't mind Gary Cahill coming in and basically being in his ear teaching him how to be a good professional because despite where he plays um Cahill's a good long-standing professional 61 caps for England he's scored five goals so he he's uh, not afraid to get a header in inside the box I'm pretty sure that's how he got all of those goals um He's a good professional, like I'd said. I, I don't hate the idea, but only if Ogbon is out and Chelsea's will, willing to swallow a little bit of money on that one there. But, alas, we will end here uh, with our with our talk on uh, this, the first week of the international break. We will be back next week. Uh, who knows who will be here? Who knows uh, exactly what the outset will be and what the crazy news story around West Ham will be at the time. But we'll, we'll for sure look over... West Ham players' international break fixtures and results. See who got injured, probably. See how far Wilshere is set back again, probably. See how Andy Carroll tripped on uh, a margarita glass and is now out for the rest of the season. Uh, we'll talk about all that stuff next week. Uh, thank you for listening, and talk to you next week.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.